the last few weeks in my life, I've experienced just a little bit of anxiousness. And I'm not one who battles a lot with anxiety. I know some of you do. And I, I, I pray over anxiety in this church on a regular basis. But there's just been a little anxiousness. And things are okay in our lives. Like Casey and I, we love our jobs. We, we love living in the city where we do. Our marriage is fine. Our kids are good. We love our kids 100% of the time. We like them 95% of the time. So like, things are all right. There's just a little bit of anxiousness. And sometimes when you battle, like have just, even if it's short seasons of anxiousness, it can sometimes get the best of you, have trouble sleeping. So sometimes when this happens, I've just been asking the Lord, like, God, I just need you to speak a word into my life. Remind me things that are true. And over the last few weeks, I've prayed Philippians 4, 6, and 7 quite a bit about surrendering anxiety before God. Every situation needs to come before God, that there are petitions we lay before God with thanksgiving, and then we trust that God can guard our hearts and our minds. So maybe that's two verses you need. And last night I had one of these. It's like two in the morning. I'm wide awake, just a little anxiousness, and I'm, I'm surrendering some things to the Lord, asking for a word. And sometimes I don't know how God works in this. Like I've read the Bible quite a bit in my life. So sometimes it may just be a Rolodex if I'm trying to think through verses that I can meditate on. But I would like to think sometimes it's God who is putting a verse on my heart or, or in my mind. And last night came from Lamentations chapter 3 that I meditated on for a while, which is the steadfast love of the Lord. It never ceases. And His mercy never comes to an end. And that mercy is new every single morning. Great is the faithfulness of God. And I just sat there meditating and thanking God. That it's like every morning God offers up this fresh batch of mercy, like brand new, every single morning. So God is not offering up a batch of stress or anxiety to us every morning, but mercy every morning that meets us in our stress and anxiety. We thank God today for the mercy that greets us every single morning. Uh, it's great to see all of you in person today. I'm grateful for all of you joining us online today. I'm so glad that you are participating in this worship experience with us. There's a story of a woman named Irene. She was 79 years old. She was a, a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a great-grandmother. And one day there was a knock on her door and she looked at the peephole and there was a man, a complete stranger, a silver-headed man, complete stranger, but he looked familiar. So she opened the door and come to find out this was her brother, Terry, who was 73 years old. And what was so surprising about this moment is she had no clue up until that moment in her life that she even had a brother. Her and Terry, their parents, in 1932, in the depths of the Great Depression, just out of the depths of their own misery, not knowing what to do in their lives, they just they pulled over on the side of the road, they unhitched their, uh, their camper trailer, and they left. And I think we would say by the grace of God, the police found that camper trailer and three small children who were inside while they were still alive. And Irene was the 10-month-old that they found in that camper trailer. Those three siblings were placed in three different foster, uh, foster homes, had no clue the rest of their lives that they even had siblings. And a few years later, those parents were able to achieve a little bit of stability in their lives, and they had a son. The son was Terry. When Terry was 14 years old, the parents confessed to Terry what they had done a few years before. So Terry made it one of his, one of his life pursuits, and he wanted to try to find his siblings. And nearly 60 years went by, and he was unsuccessful until he was able to find the name of the agency that had placed his three siblings in foster homes. And he found his sister Irene, 
And he went and he knocked on the door. And they connected in that moment. On April 3rd, 2010, Irene discovered that there was a brother she never knew she had. Now, in my early 20s, I did not have an experience like that. So my experience wasn't that I discovered there was a sibling or a relative I, I didn't know I had. But in my early 20s, I discovered something else. I discovered there was a God I didn't know I had. So I was raised my whole life. I've been, my whole life, I've been in the church. And my whole life, I grew up in churches that taught me about God the Father and God the Creator and God the Deliverer. And I've been in churches that have taught me about Jesus the Savior and Jesus the Lamb of God and Jesus the Lord and Jesus the Son of God. But I was taught very little about the Holy Spirit. And I didn't grow up in churches that taught that the Holy Spirit was only the Word of God. I know some of you did. I wasn't taught that. I just wasn't taught much about the Holy Spirit at all. It was like the Holy Spirit it was like that crazy uncle who shows up every few years at family events and you don't really know what to do with the crazy uncle. He just shows up and when he does, everybody's kind of on the edge of their seat. Like, what's crazy uncle going to do today? Like, like, protect the kids. We aren't sure what crazy uncle's going to do. And you know, this is usually the moment when communicators say, if you aren't aware of who the crazy uncle is in your family, you're probably the crazy uncle in your family, right? We just didn't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. So it was in my early 20s, and it wasn't some charismatic or Pentecostal experience I had in my life. It was just reading Scripture and reading the New Testament and seeing the function and the role of the Holy Spirit that I knew, okay, there is a God, a part of God, that I did not know I had. So hold that thought just for a moment. When I was 19 years old, I did prison ministry for the first time in my life. I was on a mission trip out to the Bay Area. It's the largest county jail in the nation. And I was there with some college students, and one day we were they took us to do jail ministry. We went through about an hour of orientation, which the orientation was the do's and the don'ts of being a volunteer inside of a system. So we were taught, you know, here are things you say, or here are things you don't say. Here's how you interact, and here are some things you don't do. Like, there's certain ways, like, don't give hugs, like, things like this. And then they talked to us about risk. They also talk to us about reward. Because when you do jail and prison ministry, which some of you have, it's very rewarding because sometimes you are with inmates who are looking for substance. They're looking for worth, for meaning and purpose in life. So it can be very rewarding. But th there's also a risk involved. And the risk is, a lot of times, like they tell you, they teach you when you go into systems, prison systems, uh, you go serve in the county jail, like they aren't going to take hostages. Uh, there's no negotiations if somebody takes you as a hostage. Meaning that if somebody says... I'm going to kill this person or you set me free, uh, you better be right with God. Like, that's kind of what they taught us. I was 19 years old thinking in the moment, like, I have dreams and aspirations in life. Like, one day I think I would like to be married. I would like to have kids. I would like to have a job. There was already a calling and ministry on my life. Like, I, I would like for there to be a march when I can get to the first weekend of March Madness without my bracket exploding. Like, dreams and aspirations. I would like to have a year at Sycamore View in March when... I'm not like Anna and Donna and Kathy, don't beat me in a March Madness bracket, all right? I'm, I'm okay, all right, I'm fine. Back to 19 in the county jail. I stepped in and experienced a ministry that was so rewarding. So two years later, I found myself doing prison ministry in Abilene. And this time I would go in and I would teach and preach in front of a group of about 200 inmates. And the very first time I did this, one guy came over to me afterwards, his name was Jason, and Jason walked up, shook my hand, and said, man, is there any way you would agree to become my mentor? Which caught me off guard, because I was 21 years old, and he had years more of life 
on him than was on me. And I, I, I agree too, but he said, here's what I want to do. Like, could you come visit me every few weeks? I need you to teach me about the promises of God. Here's what he said. I need you to teach me about the promises of God because there are very few promises in my life that people have kept. So that's what I did. I went in and we just looked at the promises of God. We studied scripture, looked at promises of God. So I want you to think this morning about whatever role the Holy Spirit has played in your life and maybe your experience was somewhat like mine. Like maybe the Holy Spirit, like you're, you, you've been taught about God, taught about Jesus, not really sure what to do with the Spirit. And I want you to think just for a moment about the promises of God. And I want to help bring these two together before we get to the Gospel of John, which is where our sermon series is right now. In Acts 2.38, here's a promise from God. That Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The Holy Spirit is a promise and a gift. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus says this, If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good, good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27, it says, In the same way, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And here's what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Helper, the Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Let, let's hold that up on the screen just for a moment. Because I read this a lot. And I think about the words of Jesus, and I, I, I mean, I want to believe them, right? Like Jesus, in this verse, Jesus lets you know, Jesus thinks so much of the Holy Spirit that he, has the, he is, has the courage to say, look, it is better for my physical body to be removed or to ascend from this earth and for the Spirit to come, and if this happens, you will be better off. So you read this, and, and there are three ways to think about it. One, either Jesus lies. Right? Like he's just being way too much of an optimist. Like to really say, my body ascending from your presence and sending the Spirit makes you better. Like this is to your advantage. Or Jesus isn't really sure what he's talking about. He's just trying to provide some hope to his disciples. Or Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. And Jesus is making a promise. And Jesus knew that his physical body had limitations, but the Holy Spirit and where the Spirit could be and who the Spirit could be inside of, there are no limitations. Maybe Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about, that my physical body being removed or ascending into the heavens means you are better off because the Spirit of God is coming into your life. It's a little over a decade ago. When I, uh, a few years into my, my, my preaching time here, I had senior saints who began coming up to me. I remember one vivid conversation right in front of the water fountains. And the senior saints are asking, Josh, will you one day do a series on the Holy Spirit? And here's what they said. I heard this multiple times. Because we don't believe what we were taught about the Holy Spirit growing up. But we have no clue what to replace it with. So it was about 10 years ago, I did a 20-week series on the Holy Spirit. 
Because if you read the New Testament, like how can we take sanctification and transformation seriously if we don't have a working understanding, not a perfect understanding, just a working understanding of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives? So John chapter 14 through 16, three chapters in the Gospel of John. And this is John's, it's probably his last supper. This is his version of it. Now you're not given a menu but you're giving content and a lot of content. These are three chapters of Jesus talking and informing, and, and as Jesus is sitting with his closest friends in this moment, Jesus knows he's within 12 hours of being arrested, of being beaten, of being flogged, of having thorns placed on his head, and within 12 hours, he will be hanging on a cross. Yeah, Jesus isn't taking that time to get mentally prepared or separating himself from people to only be with God, to get prepared for what death on a cross was going to be like. Instead, he is fully present with his followers, and he chooses in that time to try to offer up vital instruction and information. And in that moment, just hours before Jesus dies, he is going to give the most thorough instructions about the Holy Spirit than anywhere else we read about in his teaching ministry. And it's almost like you read chapter 14 through 16. And there are a few things happening there. Jesus is talking some about his identity. We're going to talk about that next week. He talks some about the Holy Spirit, but he also talks about separation. Because apparently this was a big deal. Like the disciples couldn't wrap their minds around it. So I want you just to hear a few verses in the context. I want you to be thinking about separation and abandonment. Here's a few things Jesus says in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas like, speaks up for the others and says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? In verses 27 and 30 of chapter 14, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Which is a phrase, a statement, a sentence he makes multiple times in John 14 through 16. He says, You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If, we, if you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you. In John chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, Jesus says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away, that you won't stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Think about, the, think about Saul who became Paul when you read that verse. In John 16, 4 and 6, I have told you this so that when their time, when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. So none of you ask, where are you going, even though they've been asking that for two chapters. Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. Jesus is trying to speak into what physical separation was going to look like for them. I remember when I was about three years old, in a grocery store with my mom, my brother who was an infant was in the cart, and I was walking behind my mom in this grocery store. My sister was in school. And I got distracted somehow. I think I ended up on the chip aisle, was mesmerized by all the flavor chips. 
probably daydreaming about Cheeto fingers or Dorito fingers or something like that. And I remember I looked around and my mother was nowhere to be found. As a three-year-old who got lost, like you don't really have the awareness to think, my mom's probably just an aisle over, I'm fine. And the moment you think, I'm going to be lost for the rest of my life. And all it took was for me to scream and cry, and my mother heard my voice, and my mother came and she found me. I want you to think of images that come to your mind when you think about separation or abandonment, either in your own life, or just images or metaphors, illustrations that come to mind. One time I had a connecting flight in the Salt Lake City Airport. And I got off my flight and I began to walk to my next gate. And as I did, I passed by the very first gate I came to. I passed by and there were people who were huddled up in small little circles. And everybody was hugging and crying. And my first thought was, they, their flight's probably delayed. I've wanted to do that before too. Flight's delayed, flight got canceled. I just want to huddle up with people, whether I know them or not, and cry. I went to the next gate, and the next gate had people who were huddled up, and they're hugging, and they're crying. Now I'm thinking, what have I walked into? What is, what's going on? So I immediately check social media to see, is there an influential person in the world who maybe they passed away? I, what has happened? The next gate, same thing, small groups of people who were crying and hugging. And now I'm like looking up at the monitor to see, are they showing like reruns of This Is Us, or like The Notebook, or Toy Story 4, like what? What is happening right now? So I finally went over to an American Airlines flight attendant. And I said, ma'am, can I ask you a question? I don't know if you notice this, but there are people huddled up in circles in every gate I see, and they're crying. What's happening? And she said, uh, well, remember, you're in Utah right now. And today is the day where all these 18-year-olds are going on their two-year mission trip. And they allowed certain relatives to go all the way to the gate because they were about to be separated for two years. You think going, sending somebody to college two hours away can be rough. Sending somebody on a mission trip for two years of separation. Look, I've never been in the military, but I think about like what Patrick Parson or Terry Miller or some of you have experienced before when you know there's going to be a time of separation from your family and just what that is like and the hugs that are given. And now I want you to think about Jesus. In a moment of his death, what he has in mind is these people I love the most, that they're not going to comprehend what a death and what physical separation means for them. So he's trying to speak into separation and abandonment which is something that some of us struggle with almost every day of our lives. Some of you battle with the fear of abandonment because you've been abandoned by fathers or mothers or abandoned by spouses or abandoned by relatives or friends or the church or their feelings in your life of being abandoned by God. Loneliness can sting and it can play games with you and it can be the birthplace of all kinds of lies and loneliness while you were in the dark can really mess with you. And I want you to capture this moment of Jesus and his friends that he has just a few hours left before going to the cross. And time after time, he's trying to speak to his followers about, hey, I'm going away from you, but here's the promise I'm trying to leave with you. And you don't understand this now, but what I'm teaching right now is something that will go with you for the rest of your life. 
if you've battled with abandonment, either because you've been abandoned or you currently feel like you were abandoned or you just live with the fear of being abandoned one day, I want you to imagine yourself in that room at the feet of Jesus. Because almost every moment in John 14 through 16 when Jesus speaks about abandonment or separation, he follows it up with a teaching about the Holy Spirit. The times in Jesus' teaching ministry when he teaches the most about the Holy Spirit or just hours before he died, wanting them to know that my physical body being removed from you does not mean God is removed. If anything, it means God is coming even nearer to you. So here's some of the things Jesus says in John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. In verse 25 and 27 of chapter 14, Jesus says this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, and some of your versions have the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. In chapter 15, in verse 26 and 27, Jesus says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And I want to stay right there just for a moment. In your New Testament, this word advocate, or in some of your versions, helper, only shows up five times. And four of the five show up in Jesus' teachings from John chapter 14 through 16. This word advocate or helper, it means this. It's a person who pleads your case like a lawyer before a judge. It is someone who goes before you to intercede with someone on your behalf. This is the promise Jesus was giving them, and it's the promise Jesus gives us. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And then Jesus gives this, verses 7 through 15 of chapter 16. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world. And some of your versions have convince or convict. He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said the Spirit will receive from you what he will make known to you. I want you to think just for a moment about items. I bet you've lived in a house before with a parent or a spouse or someone who had items that you weren't supposed to use, like towels that hung in a bathroom that were there for looks, but you couldn't use them or drinking glasses or dishes that were for looks, but you can't use them. And too often what we've done with the Holy Spirit is that occasionally we want the Spirit to be something we look at, but we don't really know how to use the Spirit. 
Yet the Spirit is something to access, to step further into, to ask God more of, to surrender to. This is part of why Paul in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 says, don't get drunk on wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And even though in our conversions and in our baptisms we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there are still things in us that have not surrendered fully to the Spirit of God. So until the day we die, we say, God, fill us with your Spirit. We need more of you. So today, I want to help give you divine assurance that from the very beginning in Genesis, God has been hard at work to let his people know that God wants to be closer to you than your own skin. That the Spirit of God is a promise that God abides inside of us. Not just the wish, a gift to be received. And that what Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16, it gives both divine assurance and it also gives us this divine promise, that the divine awareness that God, the Spirit of God lets us know God is aware of everything going on in your life. There's no sin you can hide from God. There's no sin you can try to keep from God. God's aware of it all. There's no pain in your life that if you try to express it to God, it's going to surprise God. The Spirit of God is aware of it. And the Spirit of God wants you to know, and part of the conviction and convincing the Spirit of God brings is sometimes we think those small little sins in our lives aren't really disrupting much, and the Spirit of God wants us to know those small sins can be what ends up like slowly rotting the soul. There's divine assurance, there's divine awareness, and there's divine intervention. That the promise of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is hard at work right now in this moment to intercede for you with groans that you can't even express. And it's for your good. So here's what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 18. The promise he makes to them is, I will not leave you orphaned. This is Jesus saying, I'm not going to leave you fatherless or motherless or parentless or familyless or, or friendless. Like, I'm not going to leave you orphaned in any way. And Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will be the advocate and the helper. And sometimes in your life, even when it comes to human beings, like sometimes you know you need help, but other people may not know you need help unless you express it, you need help. And even though the Spirit knows the Spirit is your helper, God needs you to express the things to God in the areas of your life where you need some help. And just as Jesus, in his dying moments, spent time teaching about the Spirit of God advocating for you and convicting you of sin and inviting you into righteousness and all these promises that the Spirit gives in his dying, this is what Jesus wanted to leave them with. Every morning, Sunday morning, when we take the bread and the cup, it is a tangible reminder that in his death of an event that happened 2,000 years ago is a reality that reminds us right now of the presence of God with us, that God will not leave you alone. So we go to tables today, and some of you, because of mobility issues, or maybe you don't get up and move, and that's all right. We do this as a family, a church family. And sometimes maybe what people need is as you make your way to a table that those fist bumps or handshakes or pats on the back or COVID elbows, you know, if some of you still do that, like those things may matter to people more than you know, to let people know in this moment we're not alone. We're all in this together. 
Will you close your eyes, bow your heads? We move to the tables, and here in a moment, Randy Frederick, one of our elders, is going to be up front. Stoney Ramsey, one of our elders, our shepherds, is going to be in the back. Rachel Galbraith and Kim Chapman will be over to the left and right to receive people for prayer, and I'll be up here to the left. We're here to receive you. If there's anything you need help with in your life, maybe there's a cry in your life today, if I just need more of the Holy Spirit, we're, we're here to receive you and to pray with you. And Jesus, in your dying days, your dying moments, for you to respond or like to want your friends and your followers to know of the promise of the Holy Spirit coming into their life, will you shout or speak just as loudly in our lives right now in this moment as we take the bread and the cup to remind us of the Spirit in our lives? Make it known. Through Christ we pray.